Craigie Rugby Podcast, Glasgow Airport on a Saturday morning. Glasgow 35, Connick 22, on the very face of it, not bad. William Davis is on the podcast. Uh, on the face of it, Rob. Yes, unfortunately we don't do podcasts on the face of it. Uh, no, not good, not an acceptable performance. Uh, Glasgow, they didn't, they didn't give up, but they just, they comfortably went 35-8 ahead five minutes into the second half. And after that, they backed off a bit, and Connacht finished up picking up a few scraps off the table, and uh, that's not where they want to be, searching for the crumbs. Okay, so coming up on this week's podcast, Chris Patterson, former Scottish international, he was on BBC Radio's coverage and stopped off with William after the game to have a chat about all things Scottish rugby. Coming up also today, we're going to hear from Finley Beelham and Kieran Keane post-game. So let's start with the in-game commentary, and uh, join us back here in a second. Tom McCartney throws into the line out. Jared Butler, the captain for the day, was the target at the front. Glasgow already conceded a penalty. Our referee today, Frank Murphy, former Connacht player. He's referring with the IRFU now. That's the head scratcher. All Scottish officials uh, besides that. Connacht have got the ball rolling and they're going towards the line. It's looking strong. They just need to try and get the ball touched down. They're definitely over. It's going to be deemed TMO at best, possibly just straightforward held up. But I think he's going to go to the television match official. We're awaiting to see, of course, it's, we, he's awarded, oh, he's the, awarded try. the try. So we didn't see any replay on the big screen. And uh, Frank Murphy's awarded the try. The team always obviously got into his ear. Maybe the television coverage gave the replay. That's a strange one, isn't it? Glass of ball, 50 metres inside the contact half of the field. And they smash into contact there. And I tell you, McKeown took a uh, backward step, I have to say, on that one. Was it Ferguson again making the carry? I think it was. It was. <laughs> big carry from the big number three. Out it comes. Glasgow attacking a bit of a shorter channel side and Connacht have the numbers there to make the tackles and tackle them behind the gain line 12 metres now inside the Connacht half of the field but again they're just looking so dangerous and patient too just one out carries for now to see what's what's on it's Glasgow ball 8 metres inside the Connacht half of the field real test of the Connacht defence as it comes out to Bourne first of all lovely line Dunbar right through the middle he's going to go all the way I think leader scampers back to try and tackle him no chance very, very simple. Um, they just changed their their tack a little bit there. They went to simple one-out runners, moving the ball from the base, and it was just they just fixed the defence, and then away they went. Again, there was two two Connacht players there left, looking at each other. Nobody picked them up. Dara Lida made a valiant effort chasing back, but um, that was so so simple. It's been coming every time they're in possession. They look dangerous. And they, there's a real intensity about what Glasgow are doing. There's a real belief that every time they get the ball, they're going to they're gonna cause problems for Connacht. And they're now starting to uh, pull away here in uh, quite dramatic style. Here comes the conversion for Glasgow to crown a dominant first half. The eight points from Connacht very much against the run of play, I would argue, with him. 30 points to eight to Glasgow, three tries to one. Yeah, sure, that early try from Connacht after... Kickoff went wrong for Glasgow and they conceded a penalty. And Connacht got to the corner, they got over the line, Beelham scored it. The answer from Glasgow was within what, a minute, maybe two minutes. Beautiful try from Stuart Hogg. It looked really bad for Connacht then. Glasgow just tagged on the penalty three in a row to go to 16 points to five at that point. Yeah, sure, in between that, uh, Cardi got a kick for Connacht just to ease the pressure ever so slightly. But uh, by the time the third, second try came, Connacht were really taking on water. And that try right at the end, right at half time. Oh, damage limitation for the second half a 22 point margin Glasgow ball inside their own 22 after that really good tackle dislodged the ball now that said they're going to just spread it across the back line and counter attack 
and they really are up to halfway and Connacht are in real disarray in the defensive lines they've actually scampered enough to make the tackle around halfway and steady the ship but they're back to where they started and Glasgow might have the numbers if they just whip this wide they do that kind of a two on one situation here but they are drifting towards the wing then they pop it back inside and that's caught Jared Butler out one more pass maybe from Xander Ferguson to Paragos he's going towards the line he ducks under a tackle from uh, Dara Leader has he got the touchdown at the base of the post I'm pretty sure he has Connick scrum they've gone for it and now they're driving towards the line I think there could be a penalty try coming. It is a penalty try. No need for even a conversion. 35-22. Jack Carty's fighting to get the ball off uh, Ali Price, perhaps forgetting that he doesn't have to kick a conversion, so he may as well leave the ball in his hands. <laughs> well, that certainly woke in the crowd up a bit. I had a feeling that was going to happen. I think that Frank Murphy had got a little bit fed up with it. So, 35-22, and we've 76 minutes. One more play. Will Glasgow go to the corner or will they just tap the ball? With a bonus point secure at 35-22, you'd advise them to maybe just not push for the try and take the end of the game and save some injuries, wouldn't you? Yeah, you, you would in some ways, I suppose. Yeah, yeah it's the right call exactly and it's respect it's, as well. Yeah, it is, yeah. There's no, no place for that. Uh, and fair play to Glasgow on that fact. They've done their job. They've won the game. Connacht have a scoreline that they can take home. And for those who didn't see the game, it won't be too negative. 13-point margin may well tell a tale, but comics were blown away. Kieran, uh, that scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect the balance in play from our perspective. Would you think that's fair, or are you taking a lot of positives from the comeback? Um, no, I, I think we're a, a little bit shambolic in the first half, um, particularly on our defence, and, and we let them get away on us. Uh, they're very slippery quick side you know they have a lot of pace in their attack and um, you only have to uh, let them undo you and they, and they can finish and they, and they did that really well um, so I think we were still in the changing rooms to be honest so we had a heart to heart at half time and unfortunately we showed you know we showed a good a little bit of toughness resilience and a fair bit of character to come back and win the second half so um, you know our season's been up and down like this for quite a while and uh, you know there's some positives about it that I can take and um, and, and we'll just address the, the negatives you know What did Glasgow bring that leads to Connacht having I think Connacht missed 10 of the first 60 tackles where Glasgow were pretty perfect what did they bring that led to Connacht missing those tackles in that first half and, and, and Glasgow getting all those big line breaks Oh, they, they're just really slippery characters, you know, uh, slippery backs. Mm. Um, they're very talented, uh, got a lot of pace in their, in their attack, and they had a lot of width, and our guys were, um, how do I explain it, uh, they were passive. Mm. And by being a bit passive, they got caught on the outsides, and they just chewed it up the second half couldn't have started worse either so at that stage are you, are you quite concerned or like it, it did like you talk about the character obviously it wasn't just a dressing room chat that kind of turned things around it, they had to react underneath the post when Glasgow went to 35 points yeah yeah look they they had to mm. and, and that's that's the truth of the matter and, but they did so you know that's the positive the impact on the bench do you take a bit of positive from that as well Tom Farrell in particular seemed to stand out in that second half yeah, Tommy, Tommy, uh, and a few of the other boys, you know, stood up quite nicely uh, at times. But um, 
you know, overall, second half was a far better effort. So, you know, the spark plugs that come on did a good job. What's been said in that dressing room? Well, at the very, it's, I won't even ask that question because you can't say what's said in the dressing room. But what's the t- mindset now going into this final Leinster game? In, in, especially when, in regards to the fact that, like, what Interpros means to, 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 to all these players and John Muldoon factor as well. Oh, look, we have talked about it, and, and it's uh, it's another opportunity for us. It's uh, it's a local derby, like you, you've highlighted, um, and everybody wants to play. So, you know, I think. You know, the motivation will be there to do well or is, to do our best at least. Is it kind of nearly a must win because finishing the season obviously with six defeats, how important is it to get just get a win out of that last game? No, there's no no, no must win uh, element to it from us um, so long as we hold our heads up high and um, uh, and play to our, you know, our, our ability uh, and give it our best shot, uh, I'll be happy enough. Finley Beelham, uh, couldn't have asked for a better start to the game. Uh, really, really put yourselves on the, on the map immediately, so that try, as you can see, it must have been so sickening. Um, yeah, we want to come out uh, with a real physical edge, and um, I thought we'd done that at the start with a really good more try, getting stuck into him quite early, and then I think after that, uh, we got a bit passive, and um, off first phase, they seemed to be getting a good rumble on, and uh, look, it's always pretty tough defending on the back foot because you know you want to bring uh, line speed and get dominant tackles but um, if we're letting them get that good access in the game um, from those set pieces it's kind of tough to you know, get a full hold in that but um, look uh, we'll regroup and um, look forward to Leinster. I think Connick fans would be relieved by the way Connick fought back and showed that character so maybe from that perspective y- y- that's important to you guys that at least when you look at that scoreboard going off despite some of the mistakes that it looks a hell of a lot better. Yeah, there's some real character. Um, you know, at halftime, uh, there was a few few tough words said. And, look, I think we are pretty flat after... You know, we started quite well, but we got quite flat as the first half progressed and uh, looked to come back out in the second half and just show the fight, even, you know, realistically there's nothing to play for in the game. But pride, and um, I thought we, you know, we really showed that in the second half and it was just a pity um, that we were a bit flat. Uh, for the most part, that first half. Two famous wins over Glasgow's two years ago. When you talk about passive and, and the flatness, how frustrating is it for you and some of the lads who were involved in, in that great season to see how far Connacht are off teams like Glasgow now all of a sudden? Uh, I don't think we're too far off. I think it um, just we're giving teams uh, easy access into the game. And um, look, when you give a good team like Glasgow at home easy access in the game, it's going to be really difficult. Like they've got some, you know, really quick and strong backs and uh, some big powerful forwards as well. So I think we're not too far off where we can just nail down um, a few basics from first phase and I think uh, I think everything else will flow onto it. But um, look, it was great pressure sorry, great uh, great fight back and uh, great to get back in it. But you know at the end of the day it's um, you know it's tough for another loss but look we'll look forward to Leinster and um, look it's Moore's last game. Uh, he's been probably the most um, you know the biggest player for Connor, three hundred plus caps and uh, Look, for his last game, I know everyone's going to be up for it, and it's at home at Sports Grand as well. So, um, look, we'll just look forward to that and finish the season on a high for John. In that game, neither side will have a lot to play for, probably, because Leinster will probably be secured in their position and, and Connor can't get to Champions Cup. But, I mean, do you, I know Kieran's not going to call it a must win, and probably you won't either, but you really want to win that game, I presume. Yeah, um, like, I think there's a lot to play for, mm. uh, personally. Like, we, we ran them quite close at the RDS in January, and um, they'll be naming the summer summer tour for Ireland 
um, a week or two after that game. So it's probably probably kind of considered a trial match, and you'll be going up against people fighting for positions. So look, there's a there's going to be a lot riding on it um, for individuals, and look, also it's Moore's last game and. Um, look, I'd love nothing more to send John out on a high because he deserves it. He's one of the most influential people that's ever come through Connaught and um, you know, I'd love nothing more to yeah, send him out on a high. Uh, back here in Glasgow Airport, we've had our breakfast. We tried two different locations. I went for the uh, buy everything, loads of bits and bobs. Ended up spending far too much money for far too little. You kept it more simple. Bacon roll with black pudding and a very good cup of coffee and witherspoons. No messing. No nonsense, William. That's what we call them. So, William, first of all, I think the comeback was strange in that second half because I think... I don't think it was entirely about Glasgow switching off. I think Connick's talent that they have, especially they were close... You said it yourself. They were close to as full strength as they could be in the game. It shone true. I mean, maybe the addition of Farrell just introduced some sort of different dynamic and his pass has just opened up Glasgow a little bit. Glasgow looked very frustrated by how Connacht came back into it. And the other element, too, is what was key to Connacht's comeback is the fact that they had a dominant scrum, which is highly unusual in a 35-8 game. You just don't see that in rugby very often. One team goes 35-8 up, 45 minutes into the game, cuts the other team to ribbons, totally dominates, and that team suddenly has a scrum good enough to actually change the course of the game. It's kind of like watching Georgia in the World Cup or something, but uh, the scrum turned the tide for Connacht and probably allowed them to have a respectable scoreline. Well, it helped, but Glasgow lost interest. They became inaccurate... They started dropping off a few tackles. They weren't working as hard as they were earlier on. They had the game won. They had their five points in the bag. Their 10th home win in a row this season. And they gave Connacht a little bit of room to play a little bit better. But they were never in any danger. They did get frustrated with themselves because they obviously knew what was happening. But it was a bit like last week. Once at this time of the season, once you have your your bonus point win, why keep pushing? Because there's so much more serious rugby to be played. Shouldn't do it, and we'll probably be pulled up for it by the coaches when they do a bit of a review. But Connacht were dead and buried at 35-8, and 35-22 makes to me zero difference. Well, it does make a difference. I mean, it makes zero difference in your assessment of the game. But it does make a difference in the fact that most, most people weren't watching this. Even a large proportion of Connick fans probably didn't. You know, might have, if they had other things to do, they may well have skipped and just tried to watch it on Fast Forward on the Sky Plus or whatever. I know I've done that before. Um, so I just think from that perspective, there'll be that first impression when you see the scoreline if you didn't see it live. And, and you won't change that first impression. The vast majority of people who have any passing interest in rugby have, have no concern about Connick's performance this weekend because they looked at the scoreboard and said, well, we expected that. Yes, you would have expected it. And th- at 35-8, it was more what you expected. But they they did manage to get some dominance in the scrums, which were a mess all night. S- scrums on these artificial pitches can get quite difficult because sides can't... It's very hard to put pressure on, so Connacht did that. But the scrum was a mess all evening, and Frank Murphy didn't get control of it. And I know it's not all the referee's fault, but I think he could have stepped in earlier because it was messing at every single scrum and eventually he lost patience with uh, Glasgow but I think the scrum is probably hugely technical but it's also you need to be in the right frame of mind and fully switched on to what you're doing and that's why I think Glasgow just switched off the the game one and You're establishing all this William just to establish the fact that this was another really poor display for Connor 
Well, the first half was a shambles. Shambolic is the word Kieran Keane just used in the post game. If you were listening to it, well, you know, it, it, it was a complete mess. Um, everything was wrong about it, really. And if Glasgow had, again, they they fluffed a few chances. They actually started overplaying a bit, I think, because they were there was a few sort of training ground moves coming out when maybe just a simple one out pass would have got them a few more tries. Sam Johnson had a break with 14 minutes to go, and he really should have found the player just closely. He tried to go for a wide pass, and it killed it killed the momentum. And I think had they scored there, they would have reached 50. I think. Uh, or close to probably probably at least scored and one more try on top of that and I don't think Connacht would have got their third try but look at the same time they didn't Connacht did find something uh, late on and I thought Tom Farrell did add something when he came on so did Della Hunt a little bit better than last week where it got worse as the game went on and it really was uh, in bordering on the embarrassing with the mistakes of the previous week so yeah, look it's five defeats in a row now it's the bigger picture it's, it's a bad season it's just six wins out of 20 games it's bottom four in the, out of 14 for a team that won the title two years ago. There is, there is a, a, a certain feeling now that there has been a failure to build on that success. And it's really coming. Connacht are in a corner now. And the only thing you can do when you're in a corner is turn around and fight your way out of it. But they, they, they're under a lot of pressure. You said a failure to build on, on, on that result. I think the individuals have failed to build on it themselves as well. The players who have the medals in their back pocket, a, st- a large proportion of them have to start asking themselves, have we really built on this? I think everybody in the organisation that is coming from the top down, that's management, team management, coaches, players, have to look at where they are now, accept where they are, and it's basically not good enough. And that's the simple fact of it to finish to finish with six wins this season okay they might beat Leinster I haven't we can't we can't uh, give you the result of that game it's in two weeks time but there's a feeling of a malaise around this team and there's a feeling that it's um, it's the season can't end too soon and that's never a good way to be for, for any side some of us felt last season was a disappointment well this season is Last looking a hell of a lot better right now, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, reached the Northampton playoff, played quite well in that, went through the whole Pat Lamb leaving maybe earlier than expected because of the contract issues and the reasons why he had to make that decision at such an early stage and obviously disrupted things. But then when you think about the way the team fronted up in the Champions Cup, for example, and were so competitive right now, based on form, they don't look like they'd be in any way competitive in the Champions Cup or certainly they would struggle. Uh, the, the fire and the spirit would probably keep them uh, from, from anything other than good performances, but defeats. Defeats is probably the key of the whole season. If you, if you win games, it covers up. That's the wrong word. It it allows you to have a certain sense of professional satisfaction and then you move forward. Connacht just haven't won enough games this season and they haven't won close games. My theory on that is that eventually if you don't keep if you keep losing tight games, Gloucester, Edinburgh at home, there's a whole litany of them. Eventually that starts to get inside your head a bit. And players begin maybe to doubt themselves. I'm wondering, are they doubting the system they're being asked to play in terms of it's very different, or it appears to be different to, to, the, to the LAM system. So are they, are, do they feel that they have the tools to actually play this system? Are they being uh, asked to do something that, that they, they don't have full faith in? If you'd won more matches, 
then the faith level goes up and you begin to believe in it a bit. They just haven't won enough games. Just to add to that, I think it's, it's the context of where they're coming from for that to work. Because obviously the flip side of that is, under Eric Elwood initially, Connick started to get closer to teams. And they established a kind of a, we don't lie down, even in the last five minutes away from home, where they had done in previous years. And that set a tone for what Lamb was able to build on. And even though that 10-game losing streak was so horrible, it just led to that big win over Toulouse. And they went from there. But Connick are past those days now. So I think that's the point, isn't it? When, when the run of narrow defeats, they, they can't get confidence from the fact that they're not far off because this is a group of players that they've been there, done that, and now they can't do that under this new system. Yeah, exactly, and that's why the difference was that Pat Lamb had more room to manoeuvre. He had more uh, wriggle room when he mm. came in. Uh, Kieran Kane, when he came in, doesn't have that wriggle room. But those, those days are gone. It's consistency you want. You want to be competitive in every game, and you certainly need to be winning more than 6 out of 20. Coming up is... Uh, Really good piece here with Chris Patterson. Very grateful for him for taking the time to chat to William uh, in the aftermath of that game and just talk about all things Scottish rugby. So here's that back here then in Glasgow Airport for any other business. And I better check is our flight. Does it have a gauge yet? Okay, we'll check that. You listen to this. Chris Patterson joining us here on the Craggy Rugby podcast this evening. 109 times capped for Scotland and their leading point scorer who's working for BBC Radio Scotland at this evening's game here in Scotstone. Chris, you're very welcome along. Thank you, good to be here. Looking at this game as where Glasgow have been in, in, in their season, they have dominated this conference really since it started. Yeah, 10 wins from 10 at home, only three uh, defeats on the road as well. And a new coaching staff, a lot of change after last year, Gregor Townsend, his coaching staff, moving to international scene. Dave Rennie coming in um, with with a great pedigree, a great coach, but not a lot of experience of, of uh, Northern Hemisphere rugby. But the way that Glasgow try to play, have played and executed some of their style, you know, 10 wins from 10 at home is excellent and they've done it with a, a real attacking brand of rugby that, that Dave's uh, brought from New Zealand and added to what Gregor had so uh, the lads look as if they enjoy playing it there's a, there's a tough edge to their defence and they look forward to, to welcome well, whoever it may be in the semi-final here possibly Scarlets, who knows but um, they'll look forward and take a lot of the pride from that, they've two more games obviously they go away to Ulster and a rearranged fixture um, and then the, the derby with Edinburgh uh, to, to wrap it up on the 28th, so Glasgow have, have I think that the story of their season at home has been attack, some of the tries they scored some of the, the attacking you know, mentality and attacking players have had has been outstanding and, and well, it's great to watch from a spectator's point of view isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. We've, we've been impressed watching it all season. Um, Kieran Kane, who's coaching at Connacht, was the understudy for uh, D- D- Dave Rennie, and he's had a much tougher start uh, with, with Connacht, who've had a, a much tougher season. But how has Dave Rennie fitted in? How, how, how does he come across, particularly uh, maybe to fans and media here? Was he a known figure before he arrived? Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. Obviously, success with uh, in, in New Zealand with the Chiefs and a lot of success in, in rugby. Um, and it, it was it, I knew it was very important to Gregor Townsend when he moved on that there was someone who shared a similar philosophy, who who shared a certain attacking philosophy and, and a, a good coach coming in. So it was, it was a massive coup for Scottish rugby to secure someone like Dave Rennie. Um, but that brings a pressure with it as well, and and he, he's uh, he's he's met that pressure head on. Some overlapping staff from, from last year Kenny Murray uh, defence coach Mike Blair's been involved 
uh, and skills coach as well. So there's an overlap with, with the last couple of seasons. And then Jason Hallam and Jonathan Humphreys, a lot of success uh, as assistant coach to Vern Cottle with the national team. So, so other than Dave coming in, the others knew the players and, and, and were in great contact with Dave before he arrived. Um, so that they set a good platform and, and so far they've delivered a, a brilliant brand of rugby that's, that's helping Glasgow, uh, but it's helping the national team in Scotland, which is, which is very important as well. They probably the only stall in the season was in, was in Europe. Was there was there a surprise about that that they never seem to really either come to terms with it or just get going until the last game? Well, yeah, it's, it's difficult. The, 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 I remember I was uh, down at Exeter Sandy Park for the opening fixture, and that was uh, that was that was almost where it came under the opening fixture. They, they were they were pretty close, but Exeter have this incredible ability to score tries and keep possession when they're in opposition 22 similar to Ireland in many ways um, and, and Glasgow just couldn't get the ball off them that night uh, and, and Exeter just kept picking and going and picking and going and, uh, and you know when you, you lose your first game in Europe it's very difficult thereafter um, so the certainly got better towards the end um, but I think that'll be a focus for next year it, it's so difficult for for Scottish clubs to, to compete in both fronts but um, that's what they want to do and that, that's what I think Glasgow can do with the, the quality of player they have so so that'll be a goal if we're looking ahead to next year obviously they'll, they'll, they'll look to uh, improve on that but um, certainly domestically 10 wins from, from 10 at home and only three defeats in a row one last week to, to Scarlet one over the uh, the, 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 the MA in, in Edinburgh uh, and, and the third one was uh, Munster away in Munster in February so Three pretty tough places to go, um, but yeah, the, the the international experience in the squad, I think, will will hopefully next year um, come be more fruitful in Europe. You, you played a lot of your career at uh, Edinburgh. You also had a little bit of time at Gloucester, team very well known to Connacht. Yeah. Um, They've had a much better season, I think a lot of people felt. And I mean, Richard Cockrell, I interviewed him a couple of times, I interviewed him when they won in Galway. He brings a, a sort of a barely disguised, the passion is bouncing off him. Um, but have the, did the last two defeats surprise people, especially maybe in, in the Challenge Cup? Um, I think Cardiff played well. Cardiff were, 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 were a good side. They were on, I think, eight wins in the, on the row, in a row before they the, the faced Edinburgh. But I think the assumption, maybe when Edinburgh being at home, being so strong, um, there was a, there's a little bit of surprise that, you know, as I say, Cardiff were on a win run. Edinburgh were disappointed with the performance last week against Ulster. I thought Ulster looked a different team. The, the three tries they scored in the 12 or 15 minutes in the first half were exceptional. Pietau's offload for the first try, Pietau scored the second try, and then the, the interplay between Cooney um, and Stockdale set the third. So, so Edinburgh didn't defend badly. I think it was a really good attack. Um, but they'll be disappointed with, with losing two games in the round. It's a big game, uh, as we speak, Friday night, tomorrow against Scarlet. And I find it difficult to, to imagine a, a Richard Cockrell team losing three games in a row. He, he sets high standards. He said, you know, in many ways, maybe overachieved this year. Um, but they, they, they've won a lot of narrow games where it shows you the, the spirit's right, the, the fights in the team. Um, and there's a lot more to come from Edinburgh which is great for Scottish rugby two strong professional sides feeling the the, the, the national side that, that's, that, that's settling out Is this the most comfortable you think Scotland have been in a number of years with, with the professional setup, with with just having two teams with the, feeding into the national side because a couple of times coming over here I've had people say to me uh, we really need three teams here and it's very difficult and we don't have enough players but 
has this is it is there a better bedding in now between these two and the Scottish Rugby Union? I think it's very difficult. I think more teams probably would be better, but it, 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 it's so difficult to be competitive on on two fronts. Never mind three fronts. And I think I think where we are at the moment was. Uh, you know, a really good performing national team, really well coached. Uh, two uh, professional teams doing really well, really well coached. We've got their under 20s, finished fifth in the world in the, the, the championship last year. Um, you know, the, the sevens team are doing well. So there's, there's a lot of rugby. We've got BT Sports, Scottish Rugby Academy is doing really well, providing players at an incredible rate, really, to come into to the pro teams. So I, I think we're really comfortable in some ways where we are, but you're always striving to improve. And I think they... Uh, I, I think three teams is a big, big ask for a, for a small nation, um, and two being really competitive with the support of the, the age grade sides, the seven sides. Our under eighteen team just went un, unbeaten, uh, three from three in the, in the under 18s over the last two weeks, the weekends down in Wales. So, so there's a, there's a lot of good going on at Scottish rugby, but um, you have to keep working hard to, to maintain the place you're in. So, so comfortable is probably the wrong word. You don't want to be comfortable. You want to be uneasy, and you want to be striving for. For bigger and better things, but uh, yeah, I think I think where we're at the moment is, is a better place than where we've been for for a number of years. Chris, very good to talk to you. Thank you for your time and uh, continued good fortune. You'll have plenty more rugby to talk about at the end of this season. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Ah, welcome back here. We have to go to gate twenty-five. Indeed, indeed. It's a nice morning in Glasgow grey skies but it's warmer than it was yesterday look there's lots more we could get into into detail but I don't think the detail of that game matters all that much on this Saturday morning I think the, the bigger picture stuff matters really everything now is probably about next season Leinster game in two weeks John Muldoon stalwart will, will retire that day and that, that should be a big day of celebration uh, for him for the career he's had and it's a final opportunity for them to go out and put in a better performance there were glimpses last night but, but not enough of them and the real work for next season, the minute that game ends, the work for next season begins. Uh, they've got an extra, they've got a month off now because there's no rugby in May. I can't remember the last time Connacht didn't have at least one game in May because uh, the season usually is time to end in the first weekend. Um, so that's, that's, where they've, that, that, that's where they're at. And I think there's an awareness there. I'm, I'm absolutely sure that, that, that they know that they're not where they should be. Any other business? Connacht Junior Interprovincial home game this year is against Leinster and it's in my own club, Ballon Road Rugby Club in the green. So we're very proud to be hosting it and I know they'll do a great show. It's a fantastic pitch that they have up in the centre of town. What's a pity though, and it's something that we comes up a lot on this podcast, is incredibly it's on at the exact same time as John Muldoon's final game for Connacht versus Leinster. I mean, these kind of things, if we're, if we're going to have joint up thinking throughout the rugby sphere, this, the amateur interpros are a tremendous idea. They're club rugby, they're a chance for an amateur to represent his province. You put it on the same time as John Muldoon finishes his career for Connacht Rugby. Madness. It's not, it's not like, it's something that the RFU should have thought about. Right. It's pretty simple. Sit down in a room, get the fixtures out and have a look. Everybody knows that's the final weekend. All the Pro 14 games have been played on the Saturday. They were all supposed to kick off at the same time as what we were told originally. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, we've seen that there are no different kickoff times. Um, which is possibly a television issue. I don't know, but I was under the impression they were all kicked. Certainly last season, and I'm open to correction because I haven't checked it, but I think they did all kick off at the same time. Yeah, you probably could do the two conferences at different times if you wanted to be, you know, creative about it for TV, but 
if, if, there's any, if, like, if there's any structure in terms of the league format, they should be a fairness that everyone has to play at the same time so no one knows what they have to do. Yep, that's the, that was the idea. And it's unfortunate that, that a clash like yeah. that is just because people it's are... happening all the time people, across all the People are torn then as to where they go and what they do. And it can't be fixed now, but it's, uh, it's a bit of a big one to have uh, got it wrong on. Yeah, I'm following my... Mike Globe and it's going to be a huge day ever since I was a kid I'm really disappointed I have a job to do I'm going to be at the sports ground but it's really disappointing that I can't be at the green to see what would be a first time Connacht have played in Ballinrobe since they played Bridge End in 1986 I think it was hope I got the year right that was just a situation where a bunch of Ballinrobe lads in the pub or after a game against Ireland and Wales and Cardiff met a few Bridge End lads and they said we send our team over to play and then word began to spread in Connacht how can the Bridge End first team play Ballinrobe but we were ready we were going to invite a few players in, but Connick took over the fixture, and uh, the rest, they say, is history. But uh, yeah, look, best luck to everyone involved in that at Junior Interprincial, and I know Balmoral will put on a good show. And it's just a shame, and it's something all rugby circles, especially from the top down, need to look at in terms of clashes like this. Okay, that's it from us. Gate 25. Let's go. That's it from us.